With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. join us and we're getting uh going to be talking to him about uh I don't know his view uh of herpticulture uh over the years and uh how uh you got muted there Owen for a second and how uh, you, some, um some yeah. jackass left me on mute I don't know what the hell who could have done that first you cut me off halfway through last episode I'm sorry not halfway towards the end of last week's episode you're like i'm done with this cat so and now you need to mute in the beginning of this one i'm not yeah. getting the love is what's happening right now <laughs> yeah really not a lot, lot. <laughs> um yeah and uh <laughs> and yeah tonight we got him we're going to be talking about uh i'm sure we'll throw some bowling talk in there uh i'm sure yeah. we'll throw in some blood and short tail talk and uh uh, uh, Emerald Tree Bow has seemed to be uh, a passion of his as of late. Oh. So I'm sure we'll hit on God. that. <laughs> you know, th- <laughs> oh, oh, Emerald. Oh, flashbacks. All right. Anyway. But yeah, it's, uh, he's worked with so many different things and there's been throughout herpticulture. So, you know, and obviously he's got himself plugged into some really, really cool communities. So, yeah, definitely love talking to Pete. Yeah, yeah. I think uh I think one of the uh one of the things that I admire about him is just the um his outside of the box thinking when it comes to uh you know, we're on this uh we we have this 
it's like a daily chat thing that goes on, and it's the Bowen's Roundtable, and uh, Keith I, is on there. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but being involved in that Bowen's talk, it's it's like watching like a think tank work, and you're on the outside. Like it's like watching through the double glass because it's like they're talking about what they're doing with their Bowens and how they would advance this and how they would do that and bouncing that idea off each other. And I'm like, I don't have a bullet, but they're pretty. <laughs> it's like, really all I can contribute to the conversation today. So it's like, but it's really cool to read up on all that stuff. And it's like every once in a while when they really get into it, I'm like, man, I could do bullets. And then my senses kick me in the head and they go, this is how much bullets cost. And this is how much room they need. It's like, no, no, never mind. So, but it is still cool to kind of watch all that stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's the type of keep, keeper that Keith is. I mean, he's trying to push mm-hmm. himself out of the comfort zone. He kind of, he, I was, he kind of reminds me a lot of, uh, you know, Rob Stone is the same way. You know, his approach with Alma Harris and really uh, thought out responses, and you know, I don't know. I just. I, I wish that the reptile community had more people uh, like him. Um, he doesn't come off with an ego. He he doesn't come off with mm-hmm. anything other than, you know, just trying to expand not only other people's knowledge, but his own knowledge. Um, and uh, we were talking and he had mentioned that a cool idea for a show would be uh, to, uh, to talk about um, how, how your perspective would change being in the business or I should say being in the hobby or whatever uh, for so many Mm -hmm. years and how your collection, your focus and all that uh, changes from when you were 20, as opposed to when you're uh, (laughs) 40 or over, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, definitely. I can even tell you my collection and how I've done stuff has changed. And I think I actually started, when I was 19. So I've probably only been in it for 10 years or something like that. So, yeah. And it, it does change because the culture changes and your collection changes. And then your personal, what you can keep, what you can house, and where you can keep it changes. So that opens up different doors and all that other fun stuff. So, yeah, it is definitely a changing thing. And I would love to hear what you guys do about that. Yeah. Yeah, should be should be cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, (laughs) so speaking of that for myself, it seems like I've gone full circle, uh, you know, when I started out, yep, (laughs) going all the way back to the Burmese pythons. (laughs) Yeah. My, my goal was to keep as many species of, uh, pythons as I could, uh, you know, but just like you just said, you know, when you're in your twenties, uh, it's difficult to have a space where you can, uh, pull that off. Um, mm-hmm. but now that, um, with the move and all that, you know, hopefully, uh, I can pull that off now. And I, I don't know, it's just kind of, uh, kind of one of those things. Like I, I'm starting to appreciate, I guess, I guess the whole morph thing has, has really kind of bummed me out of as of late. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel, but it just seems like it's, it's all about the money and, I don't know. There's it, some people out there that still is not about that, but that's how I see yeah. it. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, and to be honest, I always I, – I tend to kind of 
shy away from a lot of things that especially involve drama. I mean, that's why I really stopped posting on a lot of those drama-ridden crazy things or threads about a different breeder or this, that, or the other guy. It's just like I just wash my hands of this and walk away. Um, and Morph Markets is it, pretty much a minefield full of drama when you, when you get down to it. Is uh, No matter what you breed, no matter what you sell it for, somewhere someone will be insulted and pissed off about it. I've been insulted and pissed off about things in the Morph Market. I admit that immediately. So it's really kind of pushing my collection and the way I do things at Rogue more towards new projects. I can tell you right now, there's really not that many more projects on my want list. The the top animals on my I'm going to buy them this year list are all wild types. You know, I want 1.1 rough scale again. I want... 1.1 of black face white lips, and I'm like, okay, there's no morphs there. I want 1.1 of inlands. There's no morph there. It's like, it's just that's what I'm moving towards. And it's kind of like, and then it, it deletes that big major stressor that would put a lot of pressure on you as a breeder and keeper. And then it's right back to the, I'm breeding and keeping my snakes. Yay. That's pretty much all I want. So uh, that's yeah. kind of what I'm doing for the near future. Yeah, I would probably say I'm kind of in the same boat. I, uh, you mm-hmm. know, um, with the, uh, I'm, I'm glad to, uh, I, I was able to uh, work out some trades this weekend at the Hamburg show, and uh, funny uh, as I hell. traded. <laughs> I traded for, for some... a rogue reptile. Yeah, I'm trading all these birds. <laughs> yeah, I'm like who the hell told you to come here? Eric, I did. Oh, bye. Uh, you want this guy? So it was just funny yeah. as hell that that looks that that way. So. Yeah, I, I I did some trades for some berms and uh, some some pretty cool ones at that, but um, you know they were pretty. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, you know, I, there there's definitely not a market in Burmese pythons, that's for sure. <laughs> so it's not, not about it's not about the money with those guys. Um, oh, dear God, but yeah, no. dear God. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I'm kind of kind of feeling the same way. I mean, um. I kind of, I guess at this point, I probably have all the different morphs of carpets, um, but it seems like for my collection in general, I'm I'm more kind of focused and more excited about selectively breeding, um, you know, coastals and IJs and inlands and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's just not, just not the nonsense. Like, I guess it's Facebook that's maybe the the reason for it or I, I don't know i can't put my hand on it my finger on it but it just seems that um i'm not well, anti morph at all you know i mean i still have my morph projects and stuff but it just it just comes down to like for instance my gelatin jungles i mean I, dude I'm, I'm super stoked about them my brisbane coastals another yeah, one that's just you know yeah. they're amazing animals um well uh it's kind of one of those things with the whole morph thing. It's like it, 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 it watching it, it's a race to the bottom really right now. And that's what kind of sucks out of it. It's like, so I pour $1,000 into this project to get this animal. And by the time I got it up to breeding size and then producing, it used to be like, okay, it would be about seven, $500 a piece. 
now it's like, okay, $200? And it's like, it's not really even worth it. And people then get frustrated, and people are then bickering. And then it kind of all seems around this one or two, like, morphs or this, that, or the other thing. And it's like, addicts don't even want to freaking deal with it. It'd be much easier just to sit back, breed my pythons, and call it a goddamn day. You know, if I produce Womas, it's going to be 300 bucks a Woma. I don't care what it looks like. It's a Woma. You want it, buy it. You know, yeah. I'm going to Woma, I'm going to be pissed. Because then I have to do <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I want I want the best of the best when it comes to you know, wild types and looks like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. I, I think that's a that was originally that's what tonight's show was gonna be about. It's like I think when you talk about markets and stuff and people trying to buy animals cheap and everything, I don't know. My thought with that is is that people have to remember it's like you get what you pay for type of deal. And like yeah. you think that you're gonna buy uh you know, I I I'll equate it to to well let's use Jags, okay? So you buy a jag, you buy a hundred dollar jag and you're like, oh, sweet. I'm going to breed this. I'm going to make some killer jags and I'm going to sell them for 350 bucks a piece because these are going to be killer jags. (laughs) What's not going to happen? Because you got an ugly jag. You know what I mean? You got somebody's something that somebody was like, "Eh, yeah, this will make a good pet for somebody, but it's not, you know, top notch. That's what everybody seems to never understand. They're like, oh man. I got the best deal from the wholesalers on this jag that's priced like 200 bucks lower than your jag. I'm like, yeah, there's a reason for that. That wholesaler didn't breed that jag. He bought it from some other guy who said, man, this is an ugly one. I'm going to kick it out to the wholesalers. You're buying the rejects. You're buying the ones that are like this one, just, oh. Like, that's what you're getting. That's what you're trying. Like, when you go around the show and you're like, man, this jungle's here and that jungle's there and that's there. There's obvious reasons. And again, we've been over this ten million times. You're not just also you're not just buying the animal, you're also buying the experience of the breeder. So yes, that guy is cheaper, but no, it doesn't come with lineage. Yes, he's gonna say whatever you want him to say. Pure Russell, of course it is. Girl, of course it is. And it, and that's right. what you do. And I mean and you can't the, ner- the nerve to look surprised when it all goes wrong is like, really, guy? I mean, come on. So that's just how it goes. And I have people question me at my table about whether or not I, the jungle I have on my table is a jungle because they've seen jungles and it doesn't look like mine. And I'm like, oh, okay. How many carpets do you have? One. All right, thank you. Oh, man. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice yeah, that's my prob- table. That's good. That's probably going to steer me away from being a vendor at Hamburg. <laughs> you, yeah. You don't, don't do it. Don't go where I go. Your, yeah. your fragile psyche couldn't handle it. I'm mean to people. So yeah. it's like it's easier I, for me. <laughs> yeah. I have to uh, I have to publicly apologize to Jason Balin for not stopping by his table and saying, hello, um, but I couldn't take that heat in that place anymore, man. I couldn't take it. And uh, it I saw that gross, dude. you had the door open right by your table, and I was like, oh, here's my chance. I got the things Exit. I need. I'm yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you left so quickly. You left a $500 animal on my table that I had to take home with me. You yeah. abandoned <laughs> a zebra jag head albino. Because you couldn't take the heat anymore. Yep. 
so I have to say sorry. <laughs> sorry to Jason if you're out there listening. Uh, he was just enjoying I, giving you shit. It was funny as hell. Yeah, he goes, I don't care. I, I don't care if you're. I don't care if he's dying on the ground. You don't just not say hi to all the members of the Morelia family that are currently in attendance at the show. I'm like, when the hell has they ever been a rule? But all right. So it was just funny as hell watching him do that. So it's all right. He left with a retick. So he was overjoyed. <laughs> yeah, I heard. Yeah, I was um I was at the table with Matt and I was uh you know, there's a couple retick guys that came by and they were talking reticks and stuff and uh pretty interesting stuff, uh for sure. Nice. Um so um Keith should be calling in at any moment, but real quick I just wanted to put out there that uh earlier I'd put a post up on Facebook um asking about looking for uh guests for the show. Um, show ideas. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's not even so much show ideas. Like, so, uh, Angolan pythons, you know, was one. And originally yeah. when I first wanted to do Angolan pythons, who do I reach out to? Of course I reach out ben. to Ben and Justin. Well, they yeah. don't, you know, Ben doesn't work with them anymore. And he had some, uh, I forget exactly how, but his, his female breeder had died and he didn't hold any back. So it was kind of a, kind of a sore subject for him and he was like oh, i don't know if i can come on and talk about it and be enthusiastic about it when you know Got my it. project <laughs> went in the tank so yeah. i'm like okay i understand but to find good, somebody yeah, else to talk about it you know and it's like uh, uh i don't know um one of the uh um guys that i would love to have on the talk is uh um uh what's his name tom keogan uh for ring python yeah, we, we've talked about him uh, well, we talked about him a few times, you know. Tom Keogan yeah. for rings, Tom Keogan for black, uh, for white lips, Tom Keogan for blackheads. Yeah. We talked about having Tom Keogan on for everything. And, you know, yeah. we totally understand if it's just something that you don't do. We, we ask, we don't really pressure anybody. If you say you don't want to come on, that's good. But it's like, it's almost like every time we put out, hey, who would you guys like to hear from? Tom Keogan's like one of the first names to get floated out there all the time. And we've done yeah. this for five freaking years now. So it's yeah. like having five years worth of Tom Keogan, we know. We know he'd be a good guest. Yeah. So. You know what I find what I find funny about that is that, you know, like somebody had brought up um uh um Kara for Blood Python. Yeah. It's like she's been on. That one. What about yeah. what about <laughs> Derek Roddy? He's been on. What about? Uh, you guys listen to the show. Oh yeah, I thought it was funny. Well, you're giving freaking, you know, people like I would love to hear one of just Eric and Owen. Wait, what? It's like you know that <laughs> there's plenty of those. I'm waiting for someone to be like, I hear that Rob Stone guy is pretty good. You guys should have him on. So uh, it's like, actually, it was funny. Guys, Me and. Ro- yeah. Me and Rob were talk we me and Rob were talking earlier and he was talking about trying to line up a show on Candoya, you know, and I was like, Yeah, that would be awesome, you know, but I'm not really well versed in Candoya and I don't really know who's who in Candoya or anything like that. Um yeah. and, and Terry had posted up, Why don't you have Rob Stone on to talk about Candoya? <laughs> so <laughs> he's he wants me to have a show but he doesn't want to be the guest <laughs> because he wants to listen to it, <laughs> you know. So I know, it, but it's, uh, 
So Vince is like, listen to the backlog, people. Jesus. So. <laughs> the goal is to one day be able to say that at some point we have hit on all species and that, and of Python. Morelia Python and Radio Thumb. dies. That's when we just quit. Right there. We've yep. done it all. Every show. No one wants yeah. to hear from us anymore. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when we're all finished. So, um, I think we have Keith on the line, so let's click him on and get this party started. Is that you, Keith? Yeah, Eric, how are you? Pretty good. How are you, man? I'm hanging in there, man. Definitely hanging in there. How about Owen? How are you doing, Owen? Ah, uh, he's, he's surviving, I think. I don't know. Check my glare. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Cool, cool. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what, how you want to dive into this or how you want to start talking, but I thought that uh, you had an interesting uh, topic to uh, sort of hit on. Yeah, and, when I uh, when I when I threw when I threw that out there, I was hoping you were going to go for somebody like Elf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was your first mistake. Yeah, that was because um, I. I've done that all for years where I'm like, we should do this. And then he does it. And I'm like, damn it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that was your first mistake. Uh, no, cause you know, you, you know, seriously though, you know, I'm 56 closing in on 57 now. And you do look at the hobby a lot different as you start getting older. Um, not that I don't have a lot of years left in me, I'm sure. But you definitely look at the hobby different than when you're in your teens and twenties, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. even down to the species you want to keep or the goals that you have and numbers of animals you want to keep and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. So I was like, you know, that might be interesting. People in their twenties maybe aren't even really thinking of future plans or anything else. You know, they just assume that they could have a room full of, you know, 15 to 20 foot repicks all the way to the end, you know what I mean? And, you know, <laughs> things definitely change along the way, you know what I mean? Sure, right, sure. So, I, I and, mean, and, and, you know, you know, people think that you get less, more time on your hands as you get older. Bullshit, man. As you get older, it gets, you get more and more and more things on your plate to do every day, you know what I mean? Because your family has grown. Now your kids are having kids, and their houses need this and that worked on. And next thing you know, you know, you're running all over the place, and you actually – have less time on your hands than you do when you're younger. You know what I mean? So that definitely affects Jesus. on the animals you're going to keep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, speaking you know, from my experience, I yeah. mean, from what I was saying, is, is in my teens and 20s, it, it was very much the whole, here's a snake buy it. And it was like, I, I want to do carpet python. So I was literally buying like every carpet python I can get my hands on. Right. And now it's like, I will not make a purchase unless I know I got the open cage and I really know I want this thing. And getting right. me to spend money on a carpet python now is probably like pulling teeth. I mean, it really doesn't happen that often. Well, that's how I was with the Bloods, too, you know, when I yeah. when I had the collection and just about everything you, you know, that was out there, it's like, well, what do you really need to buy at that point? You just make it yourself at that point, you know, so you're really not buying a lot of animals. Um, mm-hmm. Like And like you say, you know, where, where are you going to house that animal at that point when you're, 
collection. But I'm impressed that that you started right out with carpets and wanted to do that because you know when I first really got into hardcore keeping, the goal was mm-hmm. to have a pair of everything, not a, not species specific. You know what I mean? Like you wanted right. one pair of everything, that, and that's how people's collections were back then. You know, everybody had a pair of this, pair of that, pair of this, pair of that, pair of this. Nobody really specialized back then, you know? Yeah. It was that's, one of those things where I got hooked on carpets and that was it. So Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but, but the other yeah, thing but, is, too, though, you know, when you start out with the multiple species, it does give you, I think, maybe more tools in your toolbox, too, for yeah. tackling when you do go species-specific, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Keith, that's the one of the things that I actually admire about you is your way to uh, that you approach an outside of the box thinking and you know, it seems that you well thought out. Do you think that that comes from you keeping multiple species? Like wh- where does that come from in you? Are you just reading everything you possibly can on the species that you're trying to work with? Cuz I know that's how I get, you know, it's like I just become absorbed with a specific species and just try to learn as much as I possibly can. And that becomes the focus, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, when I was very little, I, I think I touched on this with you guys in that, in the round table. Um, when I was, you know, before I could even walk, my uncle was a, was a veterinarian, but he was, he was probably one of the first exotic veterinarians in, in New Jersey. Now his bread and butter, obviously, um, believe it or not, where he was located was farm animals, but he had an affinity for uh, exotics and his thing was big cats. So he, you know, he surrounded himself with people that were in exotic animal trade. And for me to just go and sit there, cause back then that's what kids did, man. You sat there and you just be quiet and you listened, you know, and to listen to these old timers back then and their discussions on keeping this animal, keep, I found that stuff fascinating at a very young age, you know, and I think that probably instilled in me um, the way to look at animals and and thinking outside the box. And you know, really, I've always had reptiles from from day one, but birds were a huge thing for me, and and exotic pheasants and parrots were a big thing. Finches were a big thing, and. Um, you know, I just love learning about those species in the wild. And with the birds, it was more trying to create their natural environment to make them happy because they definitely, the pheasants especially, needed those items, probably even more so than reptiles, to thrive in captivity, you know. Mm. Um, so the birds definitely got me into looking at things and trying to create, because um, there was nobody really working with that stuff. There was very few people working with exotic pheasants, so it definitely, it forced you into thinking outside the box on how to make them happy and healthy, you know? And, uh, right. you know, I definitely apply a lot of that stuff to the reptiles. Um, but like you said, I like to read the more natural stuff, um, you know, like stuff Ari's doing with the bull and I, you know, anything that he can give me tidbits from his observations in the wild, that stuff is like gold for me, you know? I love that kind of right. yeah, yeah. insight. <laughs> I could geek out on that all day long, you know. <laughs> no I, doubt. I, did you did you see his uh, did you see his uh, vi- video of the drone flying and the, the bull and I basking, like 
to me that was priceless. I could, I watched that like yeah. twenty times, you know, <laughs> that little clip, right. and, and just like yeah. keying in on the the way the grass is around the snake, the trees, where that thing positioned itself, and all that different kind of stuff. That that stuff to me, I, I look and look and look and look, and you see something different every time, you know. And you try to think sure. how to apply this and that to to what you're doing in captivity. Yeah, well, that, that's think, really that's really my kick, you know. That that's for sure my kick. Yeah, I'm not sure if you hit on this when we did have the bowling round table, but one of the things you do with them is you have a hot spot that goes on and off throughout the day. Maybe you could how did you come up with that? What's your thoughts well, behind that? Ari Ari, you know, had talked about how they're lovers of basking and, and, you know, and every time we see Ari in any of his pictures or anything, they have hoodies on and everything else, even though they're in Papua New Guinea, you know, they're, and they're hiking up these sides of the mountains and everything else. So they they must feel a little bit cool and everything else. And, and Ari says that there's such a thick cloud cover there, um, you know, from the mist and stuff, when that burns off, that's when the bull and I come out and bask. So my thought to that was, if, if these animals are coming out and using the sun when it when it's there, and then they they're so well designed for retaining that heat, and then when the cloud cover comes back, they they retreat back into their burrows, and they're able probably to heat that burrow with what they've picked up from their core body temperature to carry them through um, to the next basking cycle. So in captivity, right. you know, I'm, I'm I'm thinking one of the problems could be that that we overheat these animals. Um, by providing basking at a constant 8 to 14 hours a day, whatever people have, either their lighting or their radiant heat panels on. So what I'm trying to do is I'm experimenting with having the, the radiant heat panel on for periods of the day um, and providing cooling. Now, my background temperatures are still, you know, 76 to 79. It fluctuates a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so they're not cooling down any less than that, but I'm also, Frederick even mentioned how they seem to almost over bask. Like if you provide them with heat, they'll just stay under it all the time. And from what Ari says in the wild, that's just not the case on how these animals were designed in the wild. So who knows? Frederick's the only one that knows, you know, and, and, and Mark, so, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I, I got to keep experimenting, you know, and, um, and seeing what works for me. So that, that's why I started that routine with the uh, backing off. And I'll tell you, their their stool is much firmer and more python-like. They're not, you know, giving you those smears on the side. It's it's a very concentrated um, stool now when they go. And to me, that was, was a huge, um, you know, bonus for keeping them clean all the time, let alone um, <laughs> just thinking – just thinking that, you know, you're on the right track and the right path to doing something. You know, my animals always tell me way more than anybody else that's working with a species and you just got to listen to them, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I should have, I guess I should have asked Ari, Ari this, is that, um, is he, does he notice the stools in the wild? I'm assuming they're not smeary and stuff, so. Yeah, you know, I haven't asked him that myself. The only thing that I do know from, both Mark's observations and Ari's is that um, they will leave a lot of um, fecal matter around their burrow areas. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. mine definitely do that um, to their, the way my hide boxes, you guys may have seen them. I have 
a top hole in my hide box, so they have to enter from the top. And the lid of that, they definitely tend to defecate all around the entrance hole to that hide box. Um, so there's something to that. I don't know what, if it's for attracting mates, if it's to ward off whatever, I don't know. But that is, it's definitely uh, an interesting behavior that you notice in captivity if you give them uh, simulated uh, to what they have in the wild with their, their nesting and hide boxes, you know. Right. That is cool. Interesting. So how is your how has your focus in the hobby changed from when, you know, uh, well, go ahead. Yeah. So, so, so when I, so when I started, you know, you, you remember the pet store scuffies, do you remember them? They were like, the, they were like the Petco's back in the sixties, you know, and you could literally go into a scuffies pet store and I can remember seeing everything. I mean, I bought uh, squirrel monkeys in the scuffies pet store. Oh my God. They had it. They had a chimpanzee <laughs> in a scuffy oh, pet store, they, oh, but they had Jesus. animals. They had animals like sun gazers and all kinds of stuff that nowadays, you know, are like the holy grail for for keepers. But you know, that's how we all started with with. It didn't need to have extremely um, rare skin on it. It just needed to be a sun gazer to blow you away and want the animal. So, like you know, that's how I started the hobby. But then as you get into the hobby and you start being successful with certain things and then you species-specific, you know, you get into the game of, of morphs and breeding for, you know, the next new thing. And um, mm-hmm. to do that, you know, you need a lot of animals. You really need to, to, to stay competitive if that's your thing, whether you're doing it monetarily or whether you're doing it just for enjoyment. You're competitive with what everybody else is doing out there. So even at a level of just wanting to be the guy to produce, for instance, with Bloods the Pixel, which is a new thing that, that you know, blows me away in its looks, um, you need a lot of animals to get to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and having a lot of animals, to me, right now where I am in life, is definitely a young man's game when, when you want to have, I'm talking, you know, 75 breeders and then whatever as far as um, – you know, young animals, you're raising animals that you're trying to sell. And if you're doing selling the right way, you may be hanging on to animals for three years before you let it go, you know, as long as you're not wholesaling them out or whatever. So you need a lot of space, a lot of time, and it takes away from the family. And to me, that's a young man's game, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so you know, you know, I went through that phase, and I learned a lot, and I got to know a species better than any other species I've ever worked with in my life. Uh, regardless of any animal, you literally, as you guys probably know with carpets and all, um, you almost know what that animal is going to do before the animal does it because you're so in tune with that species working with so many day in and day out. And, you know, that was definitely an awesome experience for me for many, many years. But um, there came a time when I just needed to really slow down. It was just so consuming and trying to stay competitive and, and, you know, making it still fun and not taking the fun away from doing what we love to do. And um, that's, you know, we touched on last time when we talked about it. That was one of the big reasons why I walked away from the species, you know. It was just, uh, it just got too competitive for me and it, it consumed too much of my time. And I always wanted to go back to basics. And to me, basics are, um, 
breeding animals that are what Mother Nature designed. Perhaps, um, like, you know, I'm into emeralds now, so perhaps you're trying to breed an emerald with a little bit more white on it or whatever. But, you know, I'm more into that now than um, than I am to looking for morphs or anything else. Because, like I say, to me, at my age and where I'm like, I'm, I would not be into hets anymore. You know, I'm running out of time, man. If I'm going to do something, I'll get what it is, you know. <laughs> you know, like, that's take too long now. So, but, you know, I'm back to more basic. Like, I don't really have more of anything. Everything I have now is as Mother Nature designed, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I can appreciate that. Yeah, you talk about emerald tree bones. I mean, that's an iconic reptile. That's something that I've always been curious and wanted to work with, you know, just because – it was because of the way they look. I mean, it's a green snake <laughs> with white yeah. on the back. Well, What's it like know, another big, Well, another big draw for me now is is harder to maintain species, not necessarily even so much harder to breed, but species that take a little bit more finesse to be successful. Mm-hmm. With, you know, and my first earlier attempts with emeralds were horrendous. I, my biggest problem. I'm going to say in the late 80s, early 90s with emeralds was I would have them be semi successful with them, but I always had prolapse problems. And husbandry has come a long ways on those. And, you know, now I'm keeping them very successfully and I've changed a lot of the things that I do with them. Um, but, you know, I'm looking more at species like that now as I get older. And, and, and emeralds are so maintenance-free once you get them established if you're getting imports, which I like to talk about versus captive bred but they're really sure. such a maintenance free animal you know what i mean so so mm-hmm. it's ideal for me right now as you're busier and doing more other things in life that having animals that don't require so much daily ma- blood pythons require a lot of maintenance um because as you guys know when they soil a cage they soil a cage and oh, it's not a quick clean. Horrible. You know, it's it, it's yeah. not a quick clean. It's something that to do it right takes your time, you know. So, you know, these animals are definitely a lot. And, and I'm into Amazon tree bows. I mean, they, they crap like a parakeet, you know, compared to blood poison. <laughs> so it's a much easier clean for sure. And uh, it's definitely something that you do take into consideration, I believe, as you, as you get older in the hobby and and starting to want to, to do other things in life besides just the reptiles, you know? Right. Yeah. So you were talking about the difference between a captive bred and uh, imports. What What were you going to talk yeah, about so, there? So if you can find the right person, and Harlan Wall is, is a fantastic, um, knowledgeable person in my opinion, and, and I have a good friendship with Harlan, and I really appreciate the time he puts into his emeralds. And I've gotten adult wild-caught emeralds from um, Harlan that have been totally acclimate, uh, acclimated to captivity. When I get them, they're rock solid. I've had them over, you know, a year now. They're, they're thriving, no problems. Everything about them is right. And he takes months to acclimate his animals. And uh-huh. What I like about wild caught versus captive bred, um, for me, um, with birds and other animals that I've bred in the past, there's a lot of things that come along with a long line of captive bred animals that can 
um, be harmful to your breeding programs. Um, you know, we, I even started seeing some stuff with with uh, scalation around the eyes of Borneos and whatnot when you try to line breed or breed too tight for a certain look that you're going for or something. So I really appreciate starting my stuff off with wild-caught animals. And, and not only that, I, I like the fact that um, I can hand-select a wild-caught animal for certain traits that I am interested in, like I have high band, high band count um, emeralds that I really like and, and certain banding that I like that I want to try breeding for. And, and uh-huh. I can go through a lot more animals from the wild-caught that look than I could captive-born, let's say. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. for me, right. looking to do what I want to do, I'm more interested in wild-caught, properly acclimated animals um, than I am captive-born at this moment. Um, and personally, like with the birds, they were always your better breeders. You know, with birds, you always talked about F1, F2, depending on the de- generation once removed from the wild. And F1 animals were always the most desirable animals um, when it came to birds because you were getting very clean genetic animals that weren't associated with a lot of problems that some lines of pheasant uh, breeders had with, um, you know, breeding F6, F8, F10 animals. Um, So I guess I have that mentality in my head to um, stay as close to wild to start any kind of program right now um, that I want to do. And and I I worry about that with Boland's pythons probably more than any other species collected and brought into captivity. Um, The genetic genetic diversity that we're going to have to work with uh, should Papua close its doors completely on letting any animals out um, because I don't really believe that they do a lot of collecting in tremendous different locations there. So you wonder what the gene pool is really in our, in our cactus. Thing. I've talked to Ari about this in the past and all too. So, you know, I definitely have a lot of concerns about that and especially with um, captive bred animals, you know, they're few and far between for sure, but you also wonder, you know, how tight the genetics are getting in those animals compared to what you can get from the farm animals coming into the country. Um, mm-hmm. still. So definitely a big concern of mine with Bull and I, without a doubt, and the longevity of the animals in captivity. But I hope Ari does more research on for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> what makes emerald so difficult for people to work with? Well, Back in the day, first of all, it was definitely poorly acclimated animals. Um, and and I believe the husbandry, believe it or not, I find perch size, and this is recommendations from, um, from Harlan and from Ed, um, you know, have a lot to do with, with uh, the health of the animal, um, keeping it properly hydrated, um, feeding regimes are huge. You know, back then everybody was really experimenting with um, how often to feed the animals. You know, everybody wanted to grow everything up quick and everything was pump, pump, pump. And we had the pinhead animals, like, you know, the bodies grew faster than the head. And, you know, and a lot of those problems with overfeeding emeralds definitely is one of the huge problems. I mean, I can remember people like wanting to feed just hairless animals and, you know, they were trying to get the animals to perch on balls because they thought that, you know, the perches were what was causing the prolapsing and everything else. But 
you know, I think once you get a, a good established animal, you do have correct perch size, you have proper hydration, and you don't overfeed, they're pretty bulletproof and they're very, very low maintenance, you know. They're very um, easy to maintain that way. And, and you know, most emeralds, you, you can work with them, but there's emeralds that definitely have the attitude. And I think, you know, they intimidate people with the size of the uh, um teeth that they have and everything else. There's a, lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are definitely intimidated to take a hit from one. So, um, yeah. you know, they probably don't Not clean the animal like the way they should. They don't get in there and clean it when they should or this or that because, you know, the, you see with big monitors and everything, people don't take care of them the way they should because they're intimidated by the animal once once they have it. So I think there's a lot of right. problems that have gone away. and I don't think the problems are associated with them. It's just my past experience. Um, with emeralds was, you know, really bad. And it took me a while to really get back into them and really decide that was something that I wanted to work with again. What, I'm what, really happy say, I did. I'm really psyched with them. Yeah. When when you say perch size, what do you what do you mean by that? It's like they have well, to have a specific you know, size? Yeah, Ed Marino actually, you know, told me that smaller perches are, are better than larger perches. And in, in my head, I would have thought a larger perch would be better for the animal because you're dispersing more of the weight. Um, yeah. When the animal's coiled in its typical fashion, I would have thought uh-huh. the, the the weight would be more distributed, causing less pressure on um, on the animal's uh, internal organs, you know, possibly forcing a prolapse. If that could have been one of the causes causing prolapse. But I think these animals are probably designed to get out on the smaller branches and smaller, um, you know, twigs and whatnot further from the core of the tree because there's probably less predators that would be after them in those situations. So, you know, instead yeah. of making a nice easy meal on the on the trunk of the tree that a lot more things can get to, they probably get out more into these uh, smaller perches. So my well, perch size follow. for... Yeah, my perch size for, you know, a uh, four-foot, five-foot animal is is only, I'm going to say, you know, three-quarters of an inch, um, five-eighths of an inch uh, diameter. I don't use dowels. I actually use branches um, because I like I don't like anything too smooth. I like them to get some, you know, friction on their, on their perch. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see guys that use the PVC that are t- it's twisted, so it gives them a little bit more surface area to grab as they're, perched on it and all those things, you know, definitely matter. Um, yeah, you know, and, and their tails are, are definitely so parental and so strong. You know, a lot of people, when they're trying to get them removed from the perch, if you approach that in a rough or, or aggressive manner, you know, you can do damage to the animal that way too. Mm-hmm. I actually, uh, when I bred Sanzinia, um, there wasn't, you know, a lot of talk back then about, you know, popping young tree boas and, and the, harm that could come from that and I actually did on my first clutch of uh, Sanzinia I actually um, caused damage right around the vent on almost the whole clutch from trying to pop the animals at too young of an age um, so that's always made mm. me very leery of any kind of a tree bow and now when I'm trying to remove them from the cage for cleaning um, I just gently tap their tail with a uh, Snake hook while I support the animal to get them to slowly crawl off the perch themselves, versus me forcing them off. You know, but, right? 
I haven't worked with green trees too much, Matt. Matt, I'm sure, could enlighten us a lot more on, on husbandry on those. Uh, he's got quite the collection now from what I've seen. Uh, yeah. yeah, he does. <laughs> and he's steadily growing, yeah. He, he's yeah. Them, yeah. But, he's um, been bit by the uh, green tree uh, well, bug for sure. Big time. Yeah. Keith, there's this you know you mentioned that you're like you're kind of your your starting base was like birds. Right. So there's a thing in birds, uh bumblefoot, which isn't that caused by the perching not being of adequate size or um they can't like they want different uh diameters for their perching so they can really stretch out their feet. Right or yeah. am I getting that wrong? Yeah, no that that is that is a condition that they get. But you know what else the pheasants were notorious for? Um, stress would actually curl their toes. Um, and like Ew. if a dog, a neighbor's dog, came and ran the fences of my pens, that uh, you would come home and the the toes on the bird would actually be crooked um, just from stress alone uh, from the from the dog chasing the bird back and forth in the pen all day. But we used to correct that, believe it or not, with duct tape. We used to put duct tape down and put the toes straight on the duct tape, put duct tape over the top of the foot, and literally only keep that because birds' bones, like, heal and regenerate very quickly. And and within a day, you could take that duct tape off and have that foot corrected back to straightness. But but perch size, yeah, sorry, I digressed to that, but perch size, no, yeah, absolutely. And perch size absolutely with birds has a has a lot to play with uh with their feet and, and different uh ailments that they can get, without a doubt. So you know, again the reason I brought it up is that like do you think have you ever experimented with having a perch purchase of varying diameters inside your enclosure to see which one the emeralds would kinda of drift to, or is this just like just the thinner ones, or you only give them one certain type? You know, I, I'm sticking with the smaller perches only because mm-hmm. the cages I maintain the animals in are not huge cages. Um, and the reason I'm doing that is for hydration purposes. Um, okay. I'm keeping them closer to the, the water. Um, and And you know what? I'm being very successful with what I've started with from talking to Ed and talking to Harlan and a couple other people. So I'm not going to drift too far off of that yet until my confidence level builds with emeralds. Um, yeah, so you know what I mean? Like right now, if it ain't broke, yeah. I ain't going to fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, it's working well. Don't touch it. Right. Yeah, I, I right. totally understand that. No, so I was I, just thinking by, you know, because if, if I was, you, I would be like, you know, I'd play with it. Like, that would probably be something that would trip right into my head. So. Right. And, and my collection isn't really to the point yet where I'm going to start breeding animals, but when I do start doing that, I'm going to give them a larger enclosure, and then that will definitely come into play because I plan on giving them a lot of options in that cage for breeding purposes. Mm-hmm. But on the maintenance level right now, it, it's a two-perch deal with a water bowl um in between those two perches that when they're exploring at night, going back from forth from perch to perch area, they're literally having to pass over that water vessel all the time. Um, Got it. And, you know, so, so right now as a maintenance level on making sure they're getting into the routine of my room and cycling them, you know, I'm figuring that I, it's a two or three year process for me before I even attempt to, the, 
really hardcore trying to get them to breed. So that's where I'm at with that work right now with emeralds. You know, I'm definitely in my infancy on that. Gotcha. Cool. Very cool. It'd be interesting to see the cage when it's all set up when you get them over in the big place. So. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm going to shift here. Things... Yeah, go, oh, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, so I one just of the things that, uh, I wanted to talk about with the, with the breeding of the blood and, and talking as you progress through it, you know, one of the things that I started with with the bloods and then drifted into the morse was line breeding for certain looks. And a lot of people always said to me, ah, where's the value in those animals? Where's the va-? But the value in those animals to me was that you created something that was your eye and it's almost like your artwork, your palette with paint to make what you want to make versus the easy route of a genetic morph that you could create. So the Borneos were the perfect palette for doing that type of breeding versus, um, you know, like your batiks in the, in the blood pythons or your golden eye in the blood pythons or your just albinos in the blood pythons. The Borneos took on a life of their own because it was hard and a longer road to create different looks that are created just by breeding looks together versus a genetic trait. You know what I'm saying? And and that was a long process yeah. and definitely to me a younger man's game um, to work with because to get to a certain animal like, um, you know, my CGLs, my crystal uh, glows, leopards, th- th- that took a lot of years of, of breeding certain looks together to, to enhance the black spots on the side to that golden yellow um, tone on the back of the animal and all that. It wasn't something that you could just put two animals together and bam, there it was. It was a very step-by-step process to get to that. And, and that's something I think a lot of people miss these days when they're looking at their breeding programs to intensify certain looks that aren't necessarily a genetic thing. Fish breeders have been doing that for, for lots of years, you know, and um, definitely something that I like seeing applied in the uh, reptile hobby that I also appreciate what somebody else has created along that route because I know what's gone into getting that look on the animal. Um, and, and it definitely defines you as a breeder a lot more, I think, than just taking two genetic morphs and creating the next, you know, combination of those two genetic morphs because anybody that can breed snakes is going to be able to create those things. I think creating your own look is, is more of the challenge and more of the excitement for, for me for many years, you know? And it's also, you know, you bring up a good point. I mean, people, if you look at carpets, you know, uh, in particular, um, when you think of a coastal and you say M pen coastal, I mean, those, you know, Michael Pinnell selectively bred um, for many mm-hmm. years to try to get to his coastals, and they have a specific look. Like, you could right, be anywhere exactly. and look at it and say, yeah, that's an M-Pen coastal, you know, or it has M-Pen right. blood in it, one way or the other. Um, but right. uh, And yeah. that's your signature as a breeder, and that's what I really appreciate um, nowadays more than than the solid genetic morphs. Because, you know, to me, you know, it, it, I get the excitement of that and all that I do, and I appreciate those animals, don't get me wrong. But to me, it's, 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 um, 
it's like having the fastest Corvette that just came out that day. By mm-hmm. next year, there's going to be one that's faster than that Corvette, you know. But when you're doing mm-hmm. custom hot rod or whatever, you know, that's yours. That's your signature. That's something that you created, and, and it's something that you put a lot of work in to get to that level. So I, I definitely appreciate that more now looking back at the um, years I spent with Bloods and Short Tails. You know, that's definitely something I'm more proud of than um, anything along the genetic lines, without a doubt. Yeah, And, and, Matt, and yeah. Matt is doing a great job with it, too. You know, Matt is definitely killing it with uh, the Borneos and, uh, you know, creating his own looks. And there's a lot of his marbles right now. You can pick his marble out oh my God. anything else out there. <laughs> mm, oh, yeah, those and, are, and Matt has actually looking. taken the marbles um, where I wanted them to go for myself. And I actually lost that look myself because – I got into what my ghost was and I was looking for that blue and the ghost and I was trying to go that way that I actually bred myself out of the original Marvel look that I wanted to go for. And Matt has taken it back to that. And I'm so proud that he's done that. And what he's taken them to is it blows me away. Every time I see those animals, they're, they're spectacular. And he's light years ahead of anybody else when it comes to that. They're, they're, they're just beautiful animals, you know? You're not tempted a little bit, Keith, to jump back into the blood, you know, call Matt up and have him send you a box. (laughs) You know what? Of stuff. There's no doubt doubt in my mind if I asked Matt for the best pair of marbles there are that he's produced, he would send them to me in a heartbeat. Oh, no no doubt. You know, but I I just, I I, I just, I can't do it. If I, they're, they're like my, like, like a drug addict's heroin or something, you know, if I got that in the blood, <laughs> it would be all over. It would just, I would uh-huh. start all over again, you know. It would Sound be all over. Falling off the wagon. Yeah. Emerald oh, yeah. I mean, my room is, I'm still trying to get my room deep blood eyes. You know, my, my steak rooms are slowly morphing back into the, you know, what I need for the collection I have now and, you know, if I started that again, oh, my God, my wife would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, to yeah. that question. <laughs> yeah, but that, I that you, has, you know, has some killer you know, stuff. I, gotta tell you, sure. I, I just got to tell you real quick, though, the blood community yeah. still, like, I'll tell you, the core people that, um, you know, have been around from day one and the new people coming into it that have that mentality, what a great group of people they are. Um, there's no egos there, willing to share information, and you know they they still welcome me with open arms, even though I've been out of this three four years now. Um, still feel like a very strong part of that community, and uh, so anybody getting into it, make sure you do the right thing, go the right route, and get into that community, man, because uh, definitely a group, great group of people. Um, definitely recommend them highly. You know some of the other groups out there are a, a little tough, um, but the blood the core blood people seem to definitely know what's the right way to go with this and, and definitely stick to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a, what I, I don't know. I'm kind of noticing that with the Morelia crowd, it seems like there's a, it's almost like a change of, uh, it's like n- newer people are now, uh, you know, like the older people that were into it when I was getting into it are kind of out of it. You know, so the community has kind of changed and, uh, you know, I don't know, it's in a way it's good. And in a way it's kind of depressing because, (laughs) 
you know, I don't know. It's this whole Facebook thing, I guess, is kind of like that's that's to me. I don't know if it's 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 part of the good thing about reptiles, the community, and it's part of the bad thing about reptiles. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, like, absolutely. Yeah, no. I, I try to I try to use Facebook as the new giant Daytona or whatever big reptile shows out there. I try to use Facebook at that level, but it doesn't seem like a lot of people want to use Facebook at that level. They, they like the ooh and ah over pictures and ooh and ah over the next new thing. But when it comes down Mm -hmm. to the meat and bones of sitting around and talking reptiles, it seems like you have to go behind closed doors with certain people like our round table for bull and I and, and stuff like that Mm -hmm. to really, get the meat and potatoes and, and get that stuff out of it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on the Facebook thing. I, I don't know where that's taken the hobby, to be honest with you. I, I miss the days of the shows with the Al Zulich and the Don Hampers and the Tom Crutchfields, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And even on the full, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say it. No one's probably going to kick me or something, but I, even with no, the, I'm already like, rolling my eyes. Just keep going. <laughs> so. But with the forums, you know, the way that it is, like, for instance, I'll, I'll just use this as an example. It's like if I'm interested, you know, I'm looking for a Candoya guest, right, for somebody to come on and talk about Candoya. So, you know, if I don't have that in my feed or it's not something that I push up to the top of my feed, I'm not going to even know what's even going on there. Whereas with a right. forum, right. I could go to a certain section, click on it, and see what's new. You know what I mean? Right. So, like – Right. I don't know. I think it's kind of altered people's view of the hobby, so to speak. You know what I mean? It's like it's sort yeah. of you see what you want to see and not really what else is out there type of deal, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, you have a lot of heroes on Facebook, too, that if, when people do want to talk <laughs> about a subject, you know what I mean, yep. that, that, that yeah. want to try to knock you down or knock this down. So a lot of people are afraid to talk, I think, which – is a real shame because there's so much great knowledgeable people out there um, that so much could be learned from, you know, and Hey, you know what? I get it. You know, you, you don't want to give away all your tricks of the trade and all that kind of stuff. And that's part of the allure of being successful. You, you know, if it was easy, it wouldn't be so much fun. Right. So that's part of the allure and stuff, but God, man, I miss those discussions. You know, it was just great. And I'm hoping Tinley is going to be like that for me. I've never been there. Oh, I'm yeah. I go there and I'm going to be blown away by it, you know? Oh, Tinley? Oh, yeah. Tinley's probably, <laughs> yeah. probably the closest to, like, a live-action forum uh, than any other show because of it being a multi-day show. It's like, okay, we're all here. Everybody's here on Friday. That's awesome. Everybody's set up. All right. Let's all go hang out, and that's what happens on Friday night. And right. Saturday, that's, that's the way they work. Right. Exactly. Saturday, everybody does the show, and then, all right, show's done. Saturday, let's all go hang out. And then Sunday is, like, the short day, so basically we're just hanging out for the few hours that we're doing the show on Sunday. Then we're all packing up and going home. So right. definitely Philly Park. I, I think you're definitely going to enjoy yourself. There. Right. You're, I you're mean, coming this October, right, Keith? Yes. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at Tinley like I'm literally gonna walk in there like back in the day and, and oh look at this oh look at that look at that look at this look at that look at that you know yeah what I mean? yeah and, and 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 that's definitely you know something that I've I've missed over the last I'm gonna say five years since I stopped doing Daytona and all that 
Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a blast for sure. Cool. Yeah. So my very first reptile show that I ever vended was Tinley Park. So uh-huh. I kind of got spoiled. Look. So like when I, I go to bastard. like go like Hamburg, it's kind of like right. nah, I don't think so. But um, you know, here I am, a new guy, and I'm sitting at a table with guys like Terry Phillip, Rico Walder, uh, right. you know, uh, Jason Stevens, uh, Jason right. Balin. And it's just like, wow, I can't believe I'm actually sitting here talking with these guys and getting an insight, so to speak, into uh, into the world. And that's kind of where the idea of Carpet Fest came from. Uh, it's right. like you kind of get this, you know, it's now you don't even have the show. You're just hanging out and having a good time. And, you know, little discussions pop up throughout, you know, that whole carpet fest i mean there was people there that i didn't even get a chance to really talk to um that i would have loved to have sit down and talked to uh you know because everything that's going on but uh you know no right exactly and that and that's what a lot of people are missing nowadays and something from the past that definitely should be should be brought back you know without a doubt because like you said you know back in daytona's heyday you know you were sitting with the don hampers and the alzulich and and Tom Crutchfield and Hank Malt and a lot of other people. And, you know, you just bounce into people in the thing and they happen to see that you had blood pythons. And next thing you know, you know, this guy, you know, whoever is coming up to you and talking to you at, at night like that. And next thing you know, they were one of the original people that were out in the bush, beating the bush to find blood pythons or whatever, you know, and, <laughs> and that was great, you know, um, you know, I definitely missed that uh, as Daytona started to fade down a little bit. Um, so I'm hoping that is in Tinley. And from what you guys and everybody else is telling me, that is the way Tinley is. So really looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's a good time for sure. Um, I did, uh, we did have a question that came in. Um, uh, a lot of people were looking forward to hearing, uh, hearing from you. Uh, and um, let me see, I'll pull it up real quick. This comes from, uh, Graham Battenson, uh, it says, could you, could I get a rundown of Keith's feeding cycle and calendar through, through the year to create the famine, then feast feeding trigger in blood pythons and short tails, um, for females to encourage them to produce follicles? Yeah, you know, my routine for the blood pythons was a lot different than than a lot of other people's, and and Tracy's is actually way different than a lot of other people's. Tracy's bloods are long and lean. They look more like, you know, small Burmese pythons compared to um, how a lot of people keep their bloods. But um, when Dave Barker was at the last Daytona show that I vended, me and him talked about that a lot and, and how Tracy was feeding her animals. But my routine for, for feeding um, bloods and shorts was a lot different than a lot of people's. Um, so, so my females would generally produce eggs and um, I'm going to say from, from May through July uh, was when I collected most of my eggs. And my thing was to get females back on feed as quick as possible. And I fed them very heavy um, right after the reproductive cycle and 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 continued that I'm gonna say um up until about September. 
And then I actually backed off on my feeding. Um, I fed very sparingly, where a lot of people do the opposite. You know, they'll feed them and get some weight back on them, but then they start feeding them heavy as they want to to, to go into a breeding cycle. And I actually backed off on mine. And, you know, Tim Mead um, fed a lot different than I did his Borneos, than I fed my Borneos. And Tim Mead would get huge, you know, full, fertile clutches of eggs from his Borneos where my clutches were a lot smaller. So I'm sure even though I was being successful that um, uh, the feeding methods that some other people were using was great for creating larger clutches of eggs than what I was doing. But um, I definitely backed off uh, as this breeding season approached. I said sparingly I had blood pythons that would literally eat the day of laying eggs. If you gave them, awesome. they, you know, yeah, they would just eat and eat and eat and eat. I never really had a female blood python go off feed. I've had males go off feed for the breeding uh, cycle, but females generally continue to feed right on through. Um, so I never got worried if my females were feeding or, or missed a meal here or there. I was confident they were grabbing no matter what. Um, so I didn't really have a true trigger uh, feeding that. Uh, my feast or famine mode with bull and I is going to be a lot different. I'm going to literally back off feeding for a few months um, and not feed anything at all and uh, going into the season on them. And I'm going to start my introductions and everything else with that routine. And and then as I'm coming out of the cycle, um, I'm going to simulate more of a colubrid routine and, and start feeding heavy then and see if the feeding at that point can stimulate um, you know, a successful run with the females. Um, so, yeah, that's really my feast of famine mode that I was talking about earlier, um, with more with the bull and pythons than with the bloods. That's awesome. Okay. Very cool. So uh, we did have a question come in through the NPR chat, and it's from uh, Terry Burrell. He said, um, in line breeding projects, how many holdbacks do you usually keep and is there a preference for breeding siblings together versus offspring back to parents? Okay, so so Borneos is my best example on that, but I am going to try using the same methods with my ATBs and ETBs, um, okay. only because I, I like I like animals with variability, natural variability, um, like the Borneos have. So. With the Borneos, I'll tell you, you really need that eye. You need the eye of what you're trying to create, and you almost have to see it in animals that don't really show that look. If that makes sense to you, I don't know. But I can literally look at animals and say, I knew this animal was going to go this way in a future breeding. I always like to breed um I always bred more or less siblings together than uh, sibling back to adult. But in breeding that um, animal back to a sibling, I also tried to breed that animal back to a totally um, different animal uh, that had the same kind of look going on to it to try to keep some genetic diversity there because I think after after two generations of breeding sibs together, you're starting to get into trouble already, you know? Right. Um, so you know, sibling breeding is great for intensifying the look, 
but it definitely starts um, building right away on genetic flaws. Um, and that's something that I found without a doubt because I did definitely saw stuff like that starting to happen in different things that I was breeding, um, more so with infertility or the babies coming out weaker and being a little bit harder to get started. They weren't coming out like robust, wild um, Borneos or blood pythons should. Um, they were coming out a little bit more on the sluggish and slow starting animals. So I think if I was going to do all that again, I would definitely be um, stockpiling on more animals um, from different collections that have the look that I'm going to go for um, and mm-hmm. read more different um animals to get a better genetic diversity, but I would go Sid to Sid versus Sid back to, to parent only because siblings tend to produce whatever the grandparents look like. Um, so that's usually the look that I was going for anyway um, to intensify. So I was bringing Sid to Sid more than Sid back to adult. Gotcha. Makes sense. Awesome. <clears throat> I do have a question. Um, and this is from me, experience that I had, and just curious on your thoughts. Have you ever had any issues with regurgitation with bloods and short tails? You know, never, actually. Um, I'm going to say no. that, no, possibly like you would get a, a, a hatchling here and there that would start um, off a little weird on you, and, you know, I don't think maybe everything with the digestive tract was um, there right off the bat. And you would have a problem with a very rare individual hatchling from time to time. But um, no, adults, man, I can't really say that I ever had regret why you have, you haven't had a problem animal with that or something or. Well, I've had it happen twice with juveniles, juveniles um, to where just out of the blue, uh, they just, it just regurge and, Unfortunately, the one I had I got from Lon, and um, it died. Um, the other one I have from Matt, it's just it's doing fine, and now it's eaten. But it, it seems that I fed it frozen thawed, and no good. I fed it live, and then there was no issues. So, and how how long are you keeping them? Because the juveniles definitely like to be a little bit more on the cool side, um, and I could see. I keep them at room temp. Yeah. Uh, so it's probably like 80, 81. No hot spot. Okay. Yeah, you might want to back that down a little bit, believe it or not. And and I would try 78 to 80. Um, okay. If you have a problem again. Um, and, you know, I definitely noticed with the juveniles, they definitely like to be a little bit cooler than the adults and, and definitely respond better and feed better and everything if they're a little bit on the cooler side. So it could be a temperature thing. Um, so you just okay. you just heating with ambient. Yeah, yeah. You don't, that, you don't yeah. have any hot spot. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Hmm. That's strange. In both corneas, I'm assuming, if you got it from Ron and Matt, right? Uh, yep, uh-huh. Yeah. Which are usually the, uh, seem to be the more uh, hardy of the, of the species, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's unusual that you had two animals like that. And both at the round the same time? Uh, no, no, different times. Um, maybe one was know, like a you, year ago. You know me with hydration. You don't have any concerns with the animal not being properly hydrated? 
Um, I don't think so. I mean, uh, I, I try to make it a habit of at least changing the water bowl twice a week. Um, right. So, I mean, I guess it's possible, but they don't show any signs of it physically. Yeah. Right. Yeah, hydration mm. would have been my first guess, or heat would have been my first guess, and hydration would be my second. Yeah, I Two thought the heat, at. and then I thought, and then I thought maybe because I didn't have a hot spot that that maybe, you know, uh, maybe the prey was too big. But we're talking about like, uh, I guess rat pup size type of, you know, and this is a mm. yearling animal, so. You know, I don't know. And what and what and was the regards like? Was the regards uh, like uh, broken down, uh, or was it still intact, or was it very smelly, or was it still intact? You did it. Okay, so it wasn't even like a few days later. It was like almost instantaneously. Yeah, I just found it weird, huh. and then I have I have about maybe four other Borneos and no issues. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking like what. What am I doing wrong with this specific animal? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm too much of a carpet see, see, guy. That's, <laughs> that's, why, maybe, that's, you know? that's, that's why I go back to hydration, though, uh, to be honest with you, Eric, because if it was temperature-induced, you would have more animals doing it. But uh, I'm telling you, blood pythons and snakes in general, but really blood pythons are so individualistic on on hydrating themselves like I had certain animals that you had to place the order dish in a specific spot in that cage and it had to be a certain water dish and everything else for that animal to find water. Um, especially uh-huh. the, the more nervous and high strung animals, if the, those animals possibly seem like they were a little bit more skittish than anything else, because those animals uh-huh. definitely tend to uh, suffer from hydration problems more than your, uh, you know, bolder, more confident animals. Um, so I don't know. I would look at hydration to be honest with you. If if it's just okay. two out of a group of Borneos, that's what I would look at and see what you could do to improve. Um, you know, if you have that problem again, I would see what you could do to improve uh, the animal, that specific animal I'm drinking. Okay. Awesome. I will. I will definitely look at that for sure. I mean, when you had issues with hydration, is there any? tips that you did as far as I know you talked before about sometimes uh you know snakes not being able to find their water bowl and even though it's in there they don't they don't get it um yeah well hatchling hatchlings will literally you know when you have them in a shoebox and you and you have I used um just deli cups that I could throw away because they're 10 cents a piece so I would use a deli cup for you know two three weeks and then just chuck it and put a fresh deli cup in there but Literally, they'll they'll crawl all around that deli cup, and and the deli cup is at a height that, and the shoebox at a certain height that finding the top of that deli cup and getting into that deli cup, believe it or not, is a challenge for a baby blood python. They'll crawl all around that dish, they'll nose all around, but actually going up and into that dish to get water is definitely something that I used to lose baby. Um, bloods and short tails too, because I wasn't putting that thin film of water on the bottom of a of a, a Tupperware and shoebox form, so that they were constantly in water at that time. And I used to do that with them until they were first shed, just to keep them hydrated. You sometimes I would have two fresh water bowls in there, and you would open the lid, and the, the snake looked like a piece of bacon because it wasn't fine. Really dehydrated. <laughs> 
from not finding Jesus. that fresh water bowl. They just wouldn't go up and over the lid of that bowl to get down in it and drink. And that's why I started keeping everything on water. And I used to get questioned at shows all the time because all my displays had thin film of water in it for all the baby bloods. And at shows, especially with the air conditioning and, you know, controlled environment and everything there, my my mm-hmm. snakes used to, skin used to wrinkle on them, like, the first couple hours of the first day at a show like Daytona. So I just said, screw it. You know, people can't see my snakes. If they're interested, they're going to ask, and I'll wipe the lid off. But I kept the thin, thin film. I cleaned all my stuff so it was sterile, and I kept thin water on all the baby blood pythons at the show. It's just for that reason, just to keep them hydrated. Um, it's very important for blood pythons. They need a lot of water intake all the time. Yeah. That's, uh, I guess, I guess that's a huge difference. Like I said, between, you know, like you said at the beginning, when you get focused on a a particular species, it kind of, you know, pigeonholes your thinking and thinking that everything is the same carpets. You could not have water for probably a month. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, they'd be fine. (laughs) They're not affected at all. Walnuts too, you know, know, definitely a big difference in the species for sure. You know, I had problems huh. keeping my baby carpets out of the water because they crawl all around. And I guess it's like after the egg, they're like, oh, this is a nice place I can curl up in and be kind of like moist. And they just sit right in the water bowl. I'd like kick them out of the water because they've been sitting in it for like four days straight. So, right. yeah, I mean, that's the other thing is, like, again, with just knowing how the babies, the species work, I mean, Carpets, their immediate thing is to go high and go up and sit on top of their box and on the, the rim of the water bowl and bloods maybe not so much. So Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's I, what's I so exciting. That's what's so thing. exciting. That's what's so exciting nowadays for me too is going back to mm-hmm. harder to keep species and species that I didn't do well with in my earlier days, and now we have access to better quality animals like the bull and pythons used to come in horrendous compared to how they, you know, do come in now and what's available to us now. So it is very exciting as a as an older keeper to go back to animals like that and, and be successful with them now and the whole learning process starting again because, you know, like you say, with the blood pythons, after working with them in the short tails for so many years, you knew those animals inside and out. Um, which was a, definitely a comforting thing and a very confident thing when you went into your snake room. You knew exactly what to do with every situation. But it's also exciting now to go into rooms and not really know what to expect or trying to figure something out and, and trying to be successful with something that you weren't before, you know. So it's definitely a, a, a new chapter in my keeping of uh, reptiles in captivity for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm... Uh... I had uh, children's or, or yeah children's pythons a while ago, and not that I don't know they were they were small and difficult to get going. And now I'm working with a big group of uh, Antaresia, uh, all the different species, and you know pygmy pythons scared me to death because they're so uh-huh. small, and right. it's um, it's amazing how small these things are. Yeah, and, they're really teeny. Yeah. It's it's pretty cool. Like I never had to like uh, you know I, I guess it sounds simple and stuff, but like brain pinkies and try to you know figure out how to get this thing to that usually eats lizards uh, to right. uh, to take a pinky mouse. 
Um, but, uh, man, man, that's fun. I, I, I enjoy the, uh, I call it geeking out, you know, and just being in my reptile absolutely. room trying to figure the animal out. Uh, it's the fun part, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and if you're a reptile person, getting that snake to devour a, a, a pinky tail, you go to work like, like you just conquered the world, right? <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> you know, so true. It's simple as something <laughs> like that. Yeah. One little successful thing, man, and it makes you think, like, man, I am good. <laughs> like you go play the lottery. It's like, yeah, it's uh, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. All my when I go to work, all my employees are like, man, Eric's in a good mood. I got a pygmy python to eat. Yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> exactly. So, so uh, that's awesome. I did get confirmation from Ari. About, uh, he says, uh, never seen a huge pot. Uh, this is uh Boland species, by the way, uh, <laughs> uh, great topic, but, uh, never seen a huge pile of it. Looks normal, not runny, but your are all around the nesting areas. Right. Huh. Yeah. I find that so interesting. <laughs> yeah. So do you guys find that like, uh, maybe not so much with, uh, bloods and short tails, but, I notice when, uh, like with Morelia, whenever I change the cage, it seems like that's what mm-hmm. they do with meat. It's almost like they want oh. that scent there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can count on that with bull and pythons for sure. <laughs> Olives are twenty <laughs> times worse. Like my, uh, yeah. my olive pythons, I'm like, here, I'm like, look, your fresh, clean cage. I come back like I crapped everywhere. I'm like, yeah. it is basically having a like 12, 13 foot colubrid. That is what an olive python is. It's right. just like a, it eats and it shits immediately. And it's like, great. So it's, I, I would definitely say that they would kind of just want that smell or marking of their territory. So, right. Especially the boys. Do you notice with olive pythons, um, that they're, they're doing it in a specific area consistently? Uh, like, do you notice it by the nest box opening, like like we do with the Bolin's pythons, or? Uh, well, my my boxes are a little bit different because I have the big, like the 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 rough, I don't know the the, the tough um, plastic bins. Those totes you can get at like Walmart, Lowe's. They're usually like green or blue. Uh-huh. I have them, but my opening isn't on top; it's on the front. This way, they can curl up on the top and use it as like a shelf. And then also right. crawl inside as well. So okay. I'll see a bunch of smearing of stuff, especially in the male's cage because he's disgusting, all over the top of the bin. Not anywhere near the opening, but on the top of the bin. Um, where I see it even worse, though, is with the Dominican Red Mountain Boa. I mean, they will paint their entire cage. And it's the boy that usually doesn't, like, the female will paint the walls with urates and disgustingness, but the male just does his hide box. That's it. So I'm not exactly sure what the hell's going on with these guys. But Interesting. Yeah. Don't get Dominican Red Mountain Boa. They're gross. So. <laughs> now Tom Crutchfield has quite the collection of those. Have you seen some of his uh, his animals, his breeders? Oh my God! Yeah, mine are direct uh, descendants from him. So yeah, we have a 
small relation there, but yeah, they're they're gorgeous. I mean, they're very very pretty animals, especially because, and what people don't really seem to understand, and this is the one thing that always kind of comes across, is everyone else tells me, man, I want the reddish of the red. Every one I see is like really red. I'm like, yeah, because if you take a Dominican red mountain boa out into the sun, it's right. like firing up a crested gecko. It's like they just get red. Inside, though, they're like orange. So it's like, trust me, it's red. Believe me, it's red. So it's, right. So, but um, they're they're gorgeous. It's just that they're messy. So it's almost time to mold. start breeding them, isn't it? Oh, uh, I know. I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with the babies again, but I'm going to do it because I'm a glutton for punishment. So. Uh. Keith, is there any other species that you wanna that that maybe you didn't have such uh, success with, and then you want to try to revisit? Um, hmm, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> you know, Bull and I were it. You know, Bull and I were it, and emeralds are it. Um, I wouldn't mind having a couple uh, Amazon basins um, in the future, but I think I'm gonna keep the the collection's small right now. I'm going to concentrate on, on the species I have, and I'm definitely going to do, you know, bull and I, obviously the goal is just to breed bull and I. You're not looking to breed extra bands or extra yellow or extra intense iridescence. You're just looking to breed them. So the goal is yeah. obviously <laughs> just to breed, <laughs> breed bull and I. Now with the emeralds, you know, I definitely have certain looks that I, uh, you know what? It's like buying Beanie Babies back in friggin' 10 years ago. You know, the quest oh, is to go keep searching for yeah. the ultimate <laughs> emerald tree boa that I want in my collection right now, you know. So I'm having fun with that. I want to build a nice little collection of those. And I love the variability of the uh, Amazon tree boas. Um, you know, never knowing what you're going to get when you breed them together um, totally fascinates me, and I can't wait to start producing different clutches. Uh, I have a few gravid females right now, actually, and I can't wait to see the different breedings and what they produce and then putting this female with a different male and seeing what produce. And and definitely I think those are going to be a fun project um, just for the variability alone, you know. Um, so yeah. those, those are going to be my three concentrated efforts. But I have, like, Argentine bowies right now because I think they complement the bull and I very well for – husbandry um and mm-hmm. you know that goes back to, to even paul miles you know paul miles when he first bred the bull and i in his room that's you know was his complementing species that he had in the room with his bull and i was argentine bows um and i really like you know certain locale stuff I like the guiana red tails and i like the Suriname red tails i wouldn't mind having a couple pairs of stuff like that matt has uh the bolivians you know i wouldn't mind having the amarillo yeah um, I got a pair from that of those. They're awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't like both of them, but they're pretty. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. some clutch he produced. I think it was last year, right? He produced that clutch. Yes. That was beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm definitely definitely into, uh, like I said, what Mother Nature created right now. and and, and But my concentration is definitely Bull and I, Emeralds, and then ATBs in that order. But I have pairs of this and that, as we all do, just just for the heck of it, you know. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the one thing that I, uh, I've been really hoping for is that, um, Chad 
produces those Moluccans. And I know he's probably going to hoard them for the first yeah. year. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't blame him. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, well, you, know, you, you mentioned that I actually forgot about the pair that I have. I have a really nice pair that I got from uh, Jim. And um, they're an unbelievable pair. And actually, those animals I'm definitely very taken with. But, again, I think it's just uh, to have a pair of and to try to be successful. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment for Chad. Kudos for Chad for, for taking it this far, and I can't wait for those babies' hats for him because um, that's yeah. definitely a huge accomplishment. It's not something that yeah. a lot of people have done, and uh, definitely glad that uh, it happened to Chad for sure. He definitely deserved that. Yeah. yeah. The funniest thing, because it, it it's like this is the year of males that I have raised going off and doing fantastic things in other people's collections. <laughs> so it's like, I'm sure it's, it's all like in Nick, the upbringing. It's definitely I'm with all the upbringing. But anyway, <laughs> thank you for making me feel better. But it's like Nick Button's rough scale. Like I, I raised that sire. And then Chad Moluckins, like I, that was one of my Moluckins. It's like, God damn it. So, <laughs> You know, I'm I'm, I'm very, I know, I'm very happy and, you know, for both those guys, they totally deserve it. But God damn it, it's infuriating at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that that gave me some pointers on what he did to be successful with them. And my pair is definitely coming of age. So if nothing else, I would love to get a few eggs out of that and hopefully swap back and forth with Chad just to have a, Genetic diversity, because uh, yeah, have a couple pairs of those for sure. That would yeah. be awesome to establish. So they're my favorite scrub by yeah, far. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's not that it's an easy race for them to win because most scrubs are jackasses. But yeah. um, <laughs> it, but Moluccans by far are my favorites. So if you guys yeah. start doing that, that would be great. Yeah. So. Well, I'll try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, with Chad in particular, he's another guy that uh, I kind of uh, admire. Um, it's just like yeah. a guy, you know, he's like, he's up there with Ryan Young and Nick Button. And, and you know, where he, yeah. he just, he just breeds these different species. And like, you know, it's, it's just like, it, it's amazing. You know, it just—it really is just a, an awesome thing. And then you talk to him, and he's just like, "Well, I put put the male with the female, and male snake with the female." Damn it! I I I should just send him a blank check every year because it, yeah. it never fails. He's got stuff I want every freaking right. year. It's yep. like the Moluccan, the the black lips. I mean, yeah, <clears throat> I should have I should have pulled the trigger at the white. The white lips at Tinley. No, 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 I should have no, did it. Right now. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> I am not leaving October Tinley without a pair of black face white lips. Like, <laughs> Chad, you, you were listening. I know you're listening because you're commenting. If you bring them, they're coming home with me. So, it's, it's the way, Chad, I don't care if I have to sell Eric to somebody at the show, I am coming home with black face white lips. So that yeah. is that is going to happen. Cool. Pains me I don't have any right now. They're my favorite, one of my favorites. So, so we're anyway. we're a few, a few months away from breeding season and the start of breeding season. 
you know, any thoughts on what you're going to maybe change up or for as for Bowen's? Like, what's, you um, know, did you? Yeah, Bowen Bo and I, you know, Quetzal definitely threw a big monkey wrench in any plans I had for what I thought I knew um, with his success down there. Um, as far as temps and all are concerned, because, you know, I was concentrating a lot of efforts on temps. And uh, after Quetzal's success and talking with Tracy and Frederick and Casper and others, and well, I'm definitely going to be backing off on the uh, how cold I bring the animals because um, although I do think keeping them cooler overall is definitely um, right husbandry protocol, I'm looking more into feeding regimes for them now um, as a stimulus and and you know proper diet to the to prey animals that I'm going to be feeding them at that time too. I'm going to try to experiment with that a little bit, and I'm going to really look into the feeding regime as uh, hopefully the right trigger this year. Um, like I said, I'm just going to back off on feeding them. Um, for a, a, probably a solid two months before we get into the season and then uh, start with a small prey and more frequent feeding uh, to see if I can jumpstart anything that way. That's going to be my attempt this year, and we'll see how it goes. You know, I think Frederick is actually having to take a few years off uh, with his bowling. This, so that's going to be interesting when he's in his new place and set up and seeing that what he has to tweak and change to get things to yeah. where they need to be, you know. So I'm actually very excited to, to see how he does with that um, and what changes he's going to make to what he's doing, if anything, to be successful uh, in his move, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that had to be a uh, tough decision, right, to make that move. Uh, yeah, <laughs> as the snakes were concerned, right? Yeah, moving is scary, uh, and it does mess them up regardless, but bre- breeding bull and I, and, I mean, you're going to move them and possibly screw them up. They, it's got to be weighing on the back of his head that they may never go back to breeding again. Yeah. I think I would have had to keep are. that house just for the bull and I. Just, just for like, the bull and I. That's exactly, yeah. exactly what I would have done. It's like, exactly. this is my house, and this is my bull and I house. It's like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, that, I'm worried. Like nerve-wracking. I'm worried about that now, and I'm I'm moving, and I don't even have bull and I, um, you know, but I'm probably going to take this season off because – after seeing what happened with you, Owen, the, you know, last <laughs> what was it, two years ago well, or whatever it was, well, I'm it was just going to sit ago, it out. It was I'm kind of, I, I mean, it was two years ago because I moved in December, so I totally screwed up that season. And then uh, being, and then it took me another season to get it into the swing of things because I was still fooling around with the house. So. It's like there's never a good time to move your snake collection, but definitely not in winter. Don't do that. <laughs> so yeah, not, not you, know, you have your windows closing, buddy. You're gonna have to. You said you're moving in September, right? Yes, September. All right, September fifth. So one season. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess I know what I'm doing. September fifteenth. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm moving the snakes first. Forget everything else. <laughs> it's a day all to itself, you know? Uh, oh, man. God. But, all right. 
That'll be fun. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I uh, I also appreciate your uh, the post that you put up over in the Bowl and I group. Uh, you know, just basically what we talked about earlier, not just being all about pictures, but kind of having a discussion and seeing what uh, I think. I think I think that's one of the things like I've noticed with doing just doing this show is like when you're talking to somebody, and maybe it's my fault to a certain extent is that you're not pulling the information out of people, but it's like. I don't I don't necessarily think that people don't want to share, but I don't know if people think that other people will care. You know what I mean? And it can spark a conversation and and totally take it in a direction that um maybe wasn't originally uh supposed to be. Uh but right. well, you know what I mean? That's why that's that's why I miss the shows though, because at the shows when you're one on one with people, you can get those conversations going and talking and you're sitting there and you're having a drink at a bar and you're sitting there, it's a lot more relaxed thing and you, and you can get these conversations going and really, you know, people are a lot more free thinking and, and bouncing ideas back and forth and engaging, but on Facebook or forums or any of those media type areas, it seems like it's impossible to, mm. to, I mean, you actually challenge people to to post something, and and you just can't get any kind of a meaningful conversation going, and it's very frustrating because, like I say, in what I posted, the best minds are all part of that group right there, and there's so many ideas that could be bouncing and throwing around, and you know, you got to look at the big picture, especially with Bowl and I, and like I say, if they close the doors or whatever, we're going to be stuck here with. You know, we should all be working together to try to get some success out of this. I don't, I don't know where the harm is in that and um, helping other people be successful with that species. If that is the reason why people don't want to talk, or I mean, I'm throwing everything out there that I'm throwing out there, and, and there's a lot of things people could say ah, that's bullshit or that I don't discredit that. That's not right, but you know, that's how you get into a conversation with somebody and you try to explain why you believe that's the right path to take or let them explain to you why they think that's the wrong path to take. And and that's how we're all going to learn and definitely get better and definitely apply it to other species. But, man, oh, man, getting them conversations seemed going seemed nearly impossible, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, yeah. that's where people can learn the most, uh, you know. It's just, oh, man. I'm with you. Um, and, and when you and when you post a rant, you know, you often wonder you, when you don't get responses, are people all like, "Wow, that was pretty good," or "Wow, that really was stupid." You know? <laughs> so it, makes, it makes it hard for the next one, you know, to get it out there. But I keep trying, man. I keep trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, what do you notice uh, is the biggest difference with? Um, with reptile shows as of even uh, of now, as opposed to say back in the Daytona days. Besides, seriously? you know, the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, the the what I notice is egos, man. I can't take the egos mm-hmm. anymore compared to what they used to be. Because, man, when we used to go to the shows back then, I mean, Brian Sharp would be throwing paper airplanes at you and. You know, somebody would be coming over and plugging your life. I mean, it was a just a bunch of guys who were into reptiles and gals hanging out, 
busting balls, having a good time, talking reptiles and all that kind of stuff. Now it seems like everybody walks around with an ego that they're curing cancer or, you know, just save somebody's life or something. I mean, we're breeding reptiles, folks, you know what I mean? Like take a step back, relax, and have fun with it. Don't have such a cocky ego. And that's probably the biggest thing I see at the shows now that um, is discouraging compared to what it was from days past, you know. Used to just be a real good time hanging out with everybody that way. Nobody had those egos back in the early mm-hmm. early days, and, and you know it's funny how many things in the industry have changed. Um, where the you can relate it to the ball python craze, um, and how everything definitely that was the turning point for a lot of things in the industry for sure. You know, uh-huh. what what kept you from getting involved with them? Um, just the things I just mentioned. <laughs> egos. <laughs> egos, egos for sure. And it was definitely, I, I've never been driven in this industry by money. Uh, it's always been right. a love for the animals. And to me, you know, from day one, I just saw the drive of money when it came to ball pythons, you know, and, and the ego and the money involved with ball pythons back in those early days just, just turned me off completely, you know? So I, 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 I got a few for my daughters, you know, to keep because of their, you know, good qualities for that situation and all, but we never got into it as a, a real breeding endeavor or anything like that or wanting to get caught in that craze at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it's kind of like what you said about the whole egos and everybody. Because to be honest, I don't think I would still be doing snake breeding or even in the carpet community if it weren't for the breeders that I met that kind of made it fun and interesting. I mean, my right. first couple shows, I'm a nervous wreck trying to set up my table, and Jason Balin is trying to hit me with wet paper towels from across exactly. the show by throwing them. <laughs> right. So that totally made it so much better and like calm everything down. And it's like, it wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been here to be honest with you if I had been met with hostility or egos or my my biggest competition is myself. You know, that that's who I love competing with is myself. I I don't Mm -hmm. care what the next guy is doing. I, I mean, with ball pythons, I can't tell you how many, when it was in its heyday, they don't, I can't tell you how many actual fist fights I would see between big breeders. I can't picture, I can't picture rolling around on the floor with Frederick over breeding Boland's pythons. You know what I mean? You know? So, yeah, it just it never was a big, I appreciate the animals. I appreciate their beauty. I think some of the stuff that people have produced are insanely gorgeous, but I just had no desire to ever, you know, dive into that world. It just didn't gotcha. appeal to me whatsoever. <laughs> I yeah. could just picture it. I told you it's temperatures. Take it lower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> Damn. Oh, man. Um, you know, I think, I really think that, oh, man, I don't know if it's, I, I, I'm going to probably a long time ago, I said right. that this doesn't have anything to do with it, but morphs, I think is really what, what yeah. drives that ego and that Even money and that, right. you know, it's like, 
I I do like Morris, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking it, but for the longest time, Carpe Python, you know, we're not – didn't have that issue. And it seems like more and more we have people with egos, you know, people that just care about the money, you know, all the things that people were against, I guess, back in the day is all what it's about now, you know. Uh, Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, playing the market and all that kind of stuff. It, it, yeah, it's definitely lost its allure to me that way. I, like I say, you know, I don't want to be dealing with that kind of a competition. I want to compete with myself and other kindred souls yeah. that, that feel the same way about the animals. You know. Yeah, I, I'd rather be. I'd rather be congratulating my friends on a job well done, on on, on some awesome animals being produced. Than totally knocking uh, another breeder down for doing some for being for being successful, you know. Right. It, it, Eric has ten million animals, morphs, and shit that I really don't give a damn about. I mean, it's just that's the way his collection is built versus mine. But right. if he produces Bernie's pythons in the near future, I will be one of the first people there to say, "Good job." I right. don't care about them. They're Bernie's pythons. <laughs> Good job. I'm glad you're happy. With your right, right. Python. Just like how if I produce fuscas, he's going to be like, good job. Don't care about right. fuscas. So no, it, it would be that. like that. <laughs> Quiet you. No one's fucking <laughs> you. But, um, but it would just like, and it's also at the shows when, you know, I have other breeders come over to my table. They're always like, how are you doing today? How are you doing? They're like, yeah, how many sales? I'm like, one or two, a sale here, sale there. And they're usually like, oh, I had a good day. I'm like, oh, that's, that's good. It's like, it's never rubbing it in my face. It's never kind of right. malicious or anything like that. It, it's just talking about the day, making conversation. And there's been shows where I didn't sell a damn thing and every other carpet breeder there sold something. And there have been days where I've sold five and they've sold nothing. It's it just, it's, that's just how it works. So right. getting right. bent out of shape about it is not really how you can progress the community or anything. It's just right. not good. Well, well, that's like being, you know, I couldn't be more happy for Chad with the Malukins, and I couldn't be more mm-hmm. happy for Casper with his Poplons. I mean, you know, stuff like that is huge achievements to me. And, I mean, I'm ex- so excited for these guys and what they're doing. I, you know, I don't understand the mentality of being pissed off when somebody has success like that or, you know, feeling, you know, kind of uh, – against them because they were successful and you weren't. I mean, that's all part of the game. Mm-hmm. That's that's the challenge, you know? Yeah. And, and for all you know, next year you'll be successful and they won't be. I mean, something happens there. I mean, it, it, it's a constant well, tilting I, table. So. Right. I, I, look at right. it, I look at it as inspiration. I mean, exactly. you know, when I, see, when I see those guys, you know, Chad Breed and Moluckins, you know, it's like, okay, now I know it can be it done. It can be done. You know, it's, yeah. it's just like Frederick. You know, the first time Frederick produced Bull and I, it was like, okay, all the talk so that we said can can't be done and blah, 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 that, that's all out the window because it can be done. Right. You know, right. it's a matter of well, figuring out how to do it. That's how Frederick has all my respect in the world, though. It isn't because mm-hmm. he bred Bull and I. It's how he handles that he bred Bull and I. And that's why I respect the man. You know what I mean? That's why yeah. I respect him yeah. more than the fact that he bred him. I just respect who he is um, and that he did breed them. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I would, yeah, you would, somebody would have you to. Would, somebody would have to drag me back down to earth if I bred bull and I. I'm going to freely admit this. Like Eric would have to call me and be like, "Listen, you're not God. All right, you need to just stop <laughs> talking like that." So yeah. I mean, fully but admit it. I, I'd be a jerk. So. Yeah, but but you're absolutely right. I mean, Frederick's he's like one of the most humble guys that we've ever talked to on the show. I remember the first year he produced them and, you know, like I said, we brought him on the show and he was kind of like, just like, yeah, no big deal. I put the male with the female and, you know, this happened and that happened. Yeah. If anybody wanted to be a, if anybody wanted to be a cocky son of a bitch, I would say Breen Bolanize would give you that right to be that cocky son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. And and Frederick (laughs) is the furthest from that you could possibly be, you know, and that's why I respect the man for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So cool. Um, what else you got, Owen? You got anything? Owen never has anything. I mean, that's just how it is. But, (laughs) um, I mean, Keith, are you doing, so your pairs for the season is definitely going to be muddling around with the bull and I, and you said you're a little, too early to start dealing with the Amazon tree boas or the emerald tree boas. I'm sorry, they're still too young, right? Um, it's not even that they're young because they're definitely adults. It's it's more that I don't feel that I have them cycling in with my room now. Will I put a male with a female to just see if I'm starting to get something happening? Absolutely, but I don't okay. think this will be my year yet for some serious, you know, getting into it. It's going to only be their second winter going through with me, so. You know, I'm thinking I need three or four more years with the group. And, you know, I got my feelers out for some other stuff coming in with the Emeralds. So, you know, I'm definitely on a building level with Emeralds for sure in its infancy. Um, So I got Amazons. I do have uh, the Walmers and I have um, the Malukins and I have the Bull and I. And, you know, I got a couple other things like that that um, will keep me busy for sure this year. So we'll see. Okay, so you'll get babies. You could, you're going to get babies out of some stuff, and hopefully, you get babies out of the bull and I, and you know, everything else. So, I mean, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. You know, I, know I, I heard you guys. I heard you guys talking about Tom earlier and trying to get him on the show and all. You know, he he did get eggs from his bull and I. They, they, I don't know if it was an infertility problem or what, but the eggs went south on him. But there's another wow. crown in that, that another crown in that man's hat. You know. It's like yeah. To be honest, those people, you know, Ryan, Chad, Tom, those guys who are like who can kind of tackle these species, like I, I look up more to those guys than you know the dude that has a facility full of ball pythons oh, uh, and retics and stuff like that, and just turns them out like they're nothing. I mean, that would be cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I want to. God, if I if the day I breathe black face wet lip is the day you guys can hear me screaming from my basement. So um, <laughs> that would be nice. So I think yeah, I think I'm, I don't. You got some good stuff. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but you know, just like you just said, guys like Tom, Chad, Ryan. Um, the the idea is is that to me, I want to learn. You know, I'm fascinated by pythons in general. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm just fascinated by them, always have been. And I think the idea is if I keep multiple pairs of things, I'm not going to get locked into a box. 
and it's going to broaden my uh, knowledge base on how to deal right. with them. And hopefully I'm going to see some things that, you know, um, you know, go from species to species and then things that are different so that when I do get to a species like Bull and I, I'm going to be more prepared, I guess, is, is, is how exactly. I look at it, you know? Right. If that makes right. sense. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with that more. Absolutely. And, you know, I look at a guy like Tom Crutchfield and the, the animals that have gone through that man's hands and the different things. I mean, literally, he's probably touched every known reptile on the planet. You know what I mean? And the yeah. wealth of knowledge that is probably in his head uh, for tackling, uh, and, you know, his big thing is venomous for sure, but um, definitely all the species that have gone through him is what makes him such a successful guy because just the diversity that he's seen in his career working with reptiles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the thing that, that I think that frustrates me back to the Facebook thing is like somebody like Tom Crutchfield or whoever will come on and try to, um, uh, you know, give some knowledge of, of his experiences and it doesn't fit into the book, the cookie cutter approach to, uh, you know, breeding, you know, insert species here and then, you know, people start arguing with them, and, and, but they, they haven't had success yet. This, it would be like me arguing with Frederick about breeding bull and I and saying, right. no, it's, it's, you know, That's no, not this is not how it works. Who the hell are you? Jesus. You have to drop them to 40. You have to, <laughs> you know. Right. And, 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 then, yet- and then getting him to, you know, Tom to, to want to keep engaging and, and sharing his knowledge goes away because of challenges like that. Who wants to deal with that crap? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I absolutely. wouldn't. Absolutely. I would, it's, no. I would back out, yeah. to be honest with you, because it's like I've had people come at me over things, and I'm not even as – successful as those guys you mentioned or dealt with other rare species. I had someone tell me for a fact that one of my snakes was a male based solely on how long her tail was. And I'm like, no, it's a girl. And this person argued with me until I sent him a picture of her laying eggs. And it's like, no, it's a girl. Go the hell away. And that was just a damn <laughs> argument by time. I can only imagine what these guys go through. Right. So yeah. it's it's got to be frustrating. I mean, to be honest, right. it has to be. Right. And, and and that's part of how the hobby has changed over the years, too, because, you know, back in the day, a guy like that was respected for what he has accomplished. And, you know, you when he talked, you listened. You didn't, you, didn't, mm-hmm. you know, come back with these piss-ass arguments trying to make a name for yourself because you're the guy who stood up to a Tom Crutchfield or whoever, you know. And um, I don't know, I guess that's part of the demons that come along with uh, with everything being at a finger uh, tip away, you know? Yeah. <laughs> For people that use the Internet, they should try using Google a little more often um, right. and Google things <laughs> before they go and, uh, you know, it seems like, I don't know. I, another frustration with me is, is just, the research that people, or I should say the lack of research that people do uh, when it comes to, you know, working with a particular species, um, you know, 
I can the animals in their hands and at their house before they even know how to set it up properly nowadays. You know, they mm-hmm. just buy it and go home, and then they're asking questions like, "How should I set this up?" You that know, is, they that's don't even. Amazing thing. It is. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is the funniest thing to see. <laughs> and we talked about it. We talked about it before too. Like in the fish hobby, people will spend right ten thousand dollars on their fish tank and fifty dollars on the fish that they put in it. With the reptiles, they'll spend ten thousand dollars on a snake and put it in a five dollar shoe box. You know, it's like <laughs> a completely opposite world. To be honest, that used to be me in college. I'd go to the reptile show, drop about two hundred, three hundred dollars on an animal, and on the way home, stop at Target and buy like a plastic tub and a human heat pad. And I'm like, this is good enough. And thank God we learned from that. So, yeah. 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 It, 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 you, you feel a lot better when they're in better things, um, you know, better cages, better heating systems, computer systems that are running the heat. And it also takes a lot of the stress of, is the animal okay? So it's like, yeah, spend the money on the animal, but, you know, also make sure you get the everything else set up right. Like I'm, I was thinking about picking up uh, some snakes this weekend, but I really need a new 32 quart rack. So obviously, I'm going to choose the rack over the snakes because, in the long run, rack is the much better idea to pick up this weekend than more snakes to go, God knows right. where. So, yeah. And, and you know, you're not getting any younger there, Owen. So you may want to start rethinking how you're going to. Start keeping it. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I'm thirty now. I'm thirty now, and I feel so old. So yeah, yeah. I think I think I must be at that turning point uh, with you, Keith. Is uh, you know re refocusing the collection and and where I'm at. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm only ten Less years older than Owen, but. <laughs> yeah, Less is more for me right now, without a doubt. You know. Uh, and you know you get you got to keep the enjoyment in it too because uh, you do. Once you take that out of it, you know and it becomes a job for you. It definitely uh, you know isn't where I want to be with the hobby anymore. You know I definitely want to just be excited to get in that room, excited to to learn and excited to uh, you know have some new successes going on. So definitely a big change for me from from what I've been used to doing over the last twenty thirty years. You know right yeah. right. Cool. Um, okay, we're in uh, we're in overtime now. I don't know if uh, there's anything else you wanted to hit on, or uh, if you want to throw your information out there. If people want to get in touch with you, or I yeah, don't know. Facebook's the best. Facebook's the best way to get a hold of me. Um, yeah, I'm glad you guys, you know, had a slot to get me back on. I really appreciate it. I love talking snakes with you guys. It's definitely like old school, you know, sitting here talking, mm-hmm. just shooting a shit about snakes. So I definitely really enjoy it. Um, thanks yeah, so much for having me back on. I really appreciate it. Um, I was hoping we were going to go for some other old timer, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll get we'll get another one on so you can listen to that one and see how, yeah, uh, be great. how it compares. <laughs> No doubt. Oh, man. I appreciate uh, you coming on and uh, spending some time with us. I wish you the, uh, you know, best success this season. And hopefully uh, we'll be talking to you in 2017 about how you bred bowling. Your baby bowling. Yeah. I'll be there, man. I'll be happy to do it. I'll be awesome. All right. Awesome. Very good. Well, thanks, Keith. Have a good night. Take care, guys.
You too. Yep. Thanks, Keith. Oh, man. Love talking to that guy. Uh, let's see. What do we got, Owen? Um, what? We got nothing. Oh. Got nothing. Got nobody. Got what? <laughs> what's happening next week? You're in charge of these things. If anybody asks me what's going to be on the show next week, my main thing is to say, ask Eric. That's pretty well, much I have... everything I say. <laughs> I have a couple ideas lined up. Uh, I, like I said earlier, I put a thread up about um, looking for some uh, some guests for a particular species. Um, you know, it's hard to come by. Uh, I'm really I, yeah. I want to try to. I'm going to reach out to uh, Dan at DM Exotics to uh, come back on and possibly talk scrubs and white lips. Um, yeah. That'd be nice. He he's he's got a pretty awesome collection of scrubs and he's got some uh some pretty cool stuff going on for sure. Um as far as that goes and uh, uh I locality stuff and you know what I mean? Uh, I love his videos. I think he does a great job. If if you've never seen them, you should definitely check out Reptile Reality, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um he has some some cool stuff for sure. So hopefully we can nail that down. It's been a long time since we talked scrub pythons, you know. Uh that's always a uh, uh good show for sure. Um mm-hmm. I guess uh we were supposed to do a Liasis round table. At some point that'll happen. Um <laughs> got to yeah. nail everybody down for that. Um you know, I'd it, like it to talk to somebody well, round tables are hard to put together cuz it's not just dealing with one guest is dealing with multiple guests. I mean, we all know yeah. where you and I are going to be on a Tuesday night, uh, but everybody else has got other stuff. It's really kind of hard to, you know, get everybody in one spot, but we will try. And the last round table would be awesome. So, Yeah. Um, and I guess since we both keep liasses, that, uh, you know, something that we can uh, definitely. You, you uh, have, you have Fuscus and you have olives, correct? Yes. Yep. Uh, I forgot about the <laughs> Yes. Very underrated species, for sure. You know, uh... Like for, nah, mine's pretty chill. Uh, well, uh, then, well, at least mine are. Mine are dicks. So, there. <laughs> uh, well, I wonder if we have two different types, because, um... If I'm not mistaken, I believe even the ones in Australia that that really should be two different species. Um, yeah. My my you're, Queensland you're Queensland water pythons. Um, I don't know if there's a difference in temperament. You know. Probably. I guess that would be. I mean. I would be a question I would ask Ryan Young. Um, yeah. But uh, I got to tell you, man. You know, like when you see them in pictures. Uh, they don't no do justice. it justice at all. No, nope. not at all. I would, I would have really never have. Yeah, I would have nice never have like. Belly. Yeah, I would have like passed them over. Like, yeah, okay, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. seeing them in person and working with them, definitely cool. Uh, definitely See, cool snake. Every time I, every time I bring a lias, every time I buy a lias at a show. I usually end up uh-huh. like just shoving it in one of the displays. And I'm like, here, I got a slot. You can sit here and I'll mark you sold in this way. I don't have to worry about carting you around in a bag. You're just 
happening with all the other ones. I get right. more people questioning what the hell that is and how much is it than I ever do from, like, a carpet python or something like that. It's like I put a water python in the display at Hamburg. People were losing their minds. And then the Maclots python, the last Tinley Park, people were asking me how much the Mac was. I'm like, not for sale. It's mine. I just bought it. Get out of here. So it's they're a really cool species that almost needs to be seen in person to actually like appreciate. Yeah, and I I guess I guess that's what sort of steered me in the direction of you know again trying to want to work with uh, multiple different species of pythons because those things kind of I'm I'm afraid that 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 kind of thing gets lost um, lost in the yeah. hobby people you know, don't care. And, you know, I, I just want, I just, I guess I'm being greedy is that I want to have it and I want to have it for me. And I don't care mm-hmm. if anybody else, Forget has, you, you know people. what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once smart. I have it, I hey. have it, you know? <laughs> right. It's like, I, like we were talking about uh, my main things for, I need to get this Python and this Python and this Python. It, it's funny because it's like white lips, rough scales. And then I swear I got to have enough money this year. Uh, for snake purchases, uh-huh. I gotta get I gotta get ring pythons again. Like I gotta get ring pythons. They're I just saw Don. I I know, and that's what kills yeah. me. They're so awesome looking, and I don't and I don't care what everybody says. Like oh, but they dull out as they get older. They don't dull out that much. They're still a kick ass snake. So I want ring pythons again. Yeah, so. but. Here's the thing. I mean, I know we've asked people about this before, but uh, if you look at Tom Keoghan's animals, I saw somewhere, I think I saw it on Facebook, somebody had a like uh, a trio of older ring pythons, and they were mm-hmm. Tom Keoghan's line. And for being as old as they were, they really weren't, they were really, really had a nice contract. I mean, they weren't like they were when they're babies, but definitely uh, had a nice contrast. Um yeah. And I know Tom has been selectively breeding that for years. So the idea that you can make an ugly jungle carpet, you know, neon yellow. You know, black and yellow. <laughs> yeah, come on. I, I don't this, think it's too much there. of a stretch yeah, to yeah. think that you can make a ring python, uh, a really you know, a little better. On black, the yeah. yeah. Come on. But nobody really works with them, so... I I I have tried, and I have had horrible times with ring pythons in the past. Yeah, and it's like, but now I think I could get a little bit of a better shot. But then it's like housing, so I would love to get a pair. Um, mm-hmm. I may have to end up waiting, but they're so hot, they're right on the list. The problem is that everything I've ever wanted is now becoming available. You know, roughies again. Um, rhino rat, like Buddy Buscemi has rhino rat babies. Like, how the mm-hmm. hell am I not gonna walk away with a pair of rhino rats? <laughs> yeah, if Buddy Buscemi has baby rhino rats. Um, you better pull out the credit it, card, it, dude. <laughs> dear God, I can't. I really can't. So, so yeah. I really got to behave myself, or you know, people got to start buying carp pythons. God damn it. So, yeah. So it's yeah, like, it's everything here. I hate waiting. <laughs> yeah, I gotta sell some. Uh, I gotta get these tiger head albinos up and going so I can get them out of here and mm-hmm. buy some. You know, 
figure out which ones I'm keeping so I can send you guys some pictures to uh, get this ball rolling. Uh, yeah. I, I can't hoard them all back, you know? But uh, No, not this time. Nope. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah, I have my group and have to move on. But, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But uh, as far as next week's show, I don't know. It's possibly it could be uh, a retick show. That's possible. So uh, I'm sure nice. Mr. Balen, Mr. Balen will appreciate that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, Matt gave us some uh, some some people to uh, to talk to and waiting to see uh, you know uh, what we can line up. Um, right. So that uh, we got to get our table for Tinley, man. We got to get chopping yeah, on that. <laughs> Otherwise, we're gonna be screwed, and you know, just have yeah. to go to Tinley. Not necessarily a bad thing, but um, yeah. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll be good. Um. Uh. Let's see. I, I. Yeah. I don't think I got a whole else uh, going on. So stay tuned to find out what next week's show is going to be about. Um. I'll as soon as I know, I'll post it up and uh, we'll go from there. If anybody has, you know, um, any uh, insights in somebody that could come in and talk about really any species of python, but preferably ones that we really haven't, uh, you know, talked about too much, you know, ring or pythons boa. and, we'll and boas too. too. Yeah. 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 We got Candoya. I, I would even love, I'm going to try to reach out to Vin Russo because locality boas would be cool. I'd like to talk to yeah. somebody about rainbow boas I think would be neat. Uh, you know, yeah. Candoya obviously, um, you know, there's tons of, tons of stuff to, to talk about as far as that goes. So, even Collierbirds, if we, if we can find someone who does Karibo, I mean, that's that's something that's kind of on my radar right now because I keep seeing a bunch of little baby captive born or bred black tail Karibos. And right. I'm not sure if I really want a giant pissed off Collierbird, but it does <laughs> kind of seem like that would be, it does kind of seem like that would be right up my alley, wouldn't it? Like a huge, yeah, it does. <laughs> psychotic Collierbird. I'm like, that's. It sounds like it fits. I mean, yeah. That does sound right up your alley, man. I know, doesn't yeah. it? So it, uh, someone needs to, if we were to end up having a Karibo show, like that would be it. I'd end up buying them. So hopefully we don't find anybody so I can I'll, not do that. <laughs> I'll wait until, until you already purchased the rough scales. <laughs> then good we'll boy. line up a, good, a Karibo good show. <laughs> That is a good idea. Yeah. Oh, I think that I way you threw myself. Yeah. <laughs> Smart thinking. Uh, That's why I keep you around. Yeah. So, uh, okay. I don't know if that's it. We'll we'll get it, wrap it up, and get on out of here. Uh, cool. I do have I do have uh, uh, two six snakes, man. Uh, I got uh, so so poison ivy. Um, she's got a vet appointment next Monday. It's the earliest yeah. they could get me in. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I don't know if her, you know, possible clutch is uh, a clutch or if she's just impacted or I don't know what's going on. But uh, do- making me nervous. Tell that. Yeah. Yeah. So 
going to take her and, over. And, and then if he does an x-ray, it actually, because uh, he x-rayed one of my females that I thought was impacted and turned out she was gravid, it, it doesn't uh-huh. do anything to the, to the babies. They, they all hatched fine. So right. don't be concerned about that. So. Yeah. Then the other one I have has a little bit of what I think is the start of a mouth infection. Um, mm. Yeah, it's always a Gross. pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> it seems like I said, man. IJs are the uh, are the finickiest finickiest of the carpet pythons for sure. Uh, they're a lot like stupid IJs. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say it. Uh, there stupid you go. IJs. Yeah. All right. Mare- on that note, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. <laughs> uh, check out our website. Um, you can uh, send us email at info at moreliapythonradio.com. Uh, check out our Facebook page, which seems to finally be getting some action on it. I guess if you post, hey. they will come. <laughs> but uh, you can check us out on moreliapythonradio.com um, for uh, for everything Morelia-related. Um, <clears throat> we're also on Twitter. And if you want to listen to the show, you can check it out on iTunes. Uh, you can subscribe on there. Uh, you can go to the Blog Talk Radio page, which is blogtalkradio slash moreliapythonradio.com. Um, if you go on iTunes, give us uh, give us a review. Give us a give us some feedback. Uh, that way, it pushes uh, pushes people to see the podcast. Uh, please share on uh, you know on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you wherever you're at. Share the shows around. Um, Give the breeders some the attention they deserve, so people can mm-hmm. listen to uh, to their thoughts. Sometimes it comes across better than uh, when it's written out on Facebook and stuff. Um, let's see what else. I think that's it for that. Uh, as far as myself, eb morelia, uh, ebmorelia.com is my website. My email is eric at ebmorelia.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram all under E.B. Moralia, um, posting up all the time, pictures of what I got going on. Um, <laughs> I had somebody message me about wanting a pair of rough scales. <laughs> Do you ever they get that? Like, all are you selling rough scales? I'm like, no, get the hell away from me. They're like, you know, when do you have any? I'm like, I'm like my, my oldest female, oldest female will be turning two this year, Okay. Nowhere near, like, give me another two years, and then maybe I'll dip into this. Until then, get out. No, get out. So, yeah. it's it, it, all the damn time. And white lips, too. It's like, I, it, it, they, 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 they see the website, and then they see the babies that are for sale, and they assume I have 200 babies of, like, the rarest quality that I'm hiding. And I'll be like, I won't <laughs> put these up for sale. But if anybody right. asks, I'll sell them to them. It's like, that, that's... If it's not listed on the website, I ain't got it for sale. So Right. Yeah. Always okay. always with that stuff. Okay. So it's not just me. Um yep. so yeah, that's that's uh that's what I got going on. The next show I'll be at will be Tinley Park, so Woo! um <laughs> you won't see me at a show until October. All right. Uh for me, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. It is horribly outdated. We're working on it. 
Um, you can also go and look up Rogue Reptiles at Facebook.com. Give us a like. Uh, all babies that are for sale are currently on the Facebook page. They have not made the transfer over to the website yet because we're taking pictures of babies as they shed, and we end up getting more babies. So yada, yada, yada. If you're interested in caramel, super caramel, and caramel jags, give us a call. I'll get you set up. Um, if you want, uh, in the next few weeks, we'll have high-contrast red. Uh, so it's HCQ mixed with red jags. Um, those will become available as they start eating and shedding. If you want to get on the list for those, let us know. I'll get you set up for that, too. Uh, the next show I have is October in Tinley Park. So I will be attending other shows in the area. I think there's a few Habitat Graces and maybe a White Plains before Tinley Park. So if you want animals and are going to be at those shows, I can always meet you at those shows for your charge, give you the animal. You still got to pay for the animal, just there's no shipping. But anyway, um, just figure, we'll figure it out from there. So that's all I got. And so what we'll say is good night, everybody, and we're going to see everybody here next week for some more Morelli Python Radio. Good night.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.